AMC's CEO has departed and employees face large-scale layoffs. The company's chairman says the disarray in the streaming market is to blame. Other programmers are feeling the pinch too. Listen on to find out why. And welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News and Colin Dixon from Windscreen Media has torn himself away from watching World Cup long enough to record this podcast and then we'll let him get back to that important work. Hey, Colin. Hey, well, yes, I'm missing games. Go USA, go England. Both got <laughs> through into the round of 16. The excitement is building and uh, so is the audience. Uh, pretty Some pretty good audiences already for some of the games, the US game against England was the peak. I think it was 16 million um, English speakers and Telemundo added a bunch more. So it got to nearly 20 million. So that's pretty good for a a soccer game in the US. On a percentage basis, how much would you say your work productivity has declined since World Cup has been on? Well, probably 80%. 80%. I was actually watching both games, both the England game and the US game together yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're recording here on, on Wednesday. Uh, so yes, my productivity has gone down a lot while the, while the, group, the group stages are occurring. So, you know... Um, World, World Cup doesn't pay the bills, Colin, so hopefully um, you'll be able to increase your productivity rate again soon. But um, Hope so. we, have a, we have a pretty busy podcast for today. We have a couple of news items. And then, uh, as you mentioned in the intro, we're going to talk about what's happening at AMC Networks as kind of a microcosm of broader issues that are really sweeping through the entire TV and video industries. Indeed. So why don't you kick us off? Uh, Disney... Disney purchased something or the, yeah. the rest of something this week, right? <laughs> right. Well, um, yeah, the something is BAMTech, which they had already bought about um, 80, 85% of over the past several years for, I think, about $2.5 billion. Now they um, revealed in their latest filing that they have paid $900 million for the remaining stake that MLB owned, which I think was about 15% or so. Um, so they now look like they now own the full 100% of BAMTech. And I think they ended up paying somewhere between maybe 3.5 and $4 billion. And that's now all considered Disney streaming. So that's really the tech arm of Disney that powers the um, Disney Plus, of course, and Hulu and ESPN Plus and other things that they do online. So, um, you know, it doesn't really change anything in the broader scheme of things, but it certainly shows that Disney is you know, fully in on streaming, which, of course, we already knew, but this just means they're another $900 million in. Yeah, I think it was an imp- important purchase in the first place, Will, uh, when they actually bought it, um, the companies that were most successful in the industry, Hulu, Netflix, they really they owned their own platform. So they were really able to control their own destiny. Um, and of course, Disney had very big ambitions. So owning their own platform, I think, was a really uh, smart 
thing for them to do. Plus, but actually buying Bamtech was a even smarter thing to do because this was something that had been built to carry live baseball games. And with ESPN heritage inside of Disney, I think that was a very important purchase from that perspective because it gave them a platform on which they could then develop ESPN Plus. And we know that ESPN Plus is being positioned as the place for sports fans to gather online that's that's really how disney is positioning that platform and continuing to invest in it to to drive it that way so yep makes a lot of sense and it certainly makes a lot of sense for them to buy it out and just own it completely now yeah actually i just mentioned as a quick side note that during the thanksgiving break i read a book by the co-founder of pixar a guy named ed catnell who describes in detail what the pixar um, secret sauce was for making all of those successful movies, Toy Story, the Toy Story sequel uh, series, Incredibles, Monsters, Inc., etc., and also leading up to the purchase of Pixar by Disney. And it, um, you know, I think obviously Pixar is a key part of the Disney Plus service now. So it's a pretty interesting read if listeners are interested. Something for the Christmas stockings, I think. And, yeah. and, I've, and my news item yes, is actually some new data from CTA that shows that the number two tech gift for this holiday season is a subscription to SVOD. So it looks like um, uh, that's where we're now giving services. And I think actually the also up there in the top five was a subscription to a game service. So really, the delivery of entertainment online is front and center. It actually nudged me to go take a look at the data, just just for comparison's sake. And if you go back to 2013, uh, in Q4, Q4 was always a huge quarter for DVD sales. And back in 2013, they reached almost 3 billion in that quarter. And this... This Q4, they'll be lucky if they break 500 million. So that's how far the mighty have fallen. But uh, one of the things I've noticed, Will, is that DVDs are beginning to, I think, settle into their new home, which is for niche, for the provision of niche content that really isn't available yet in streaming and maybe is only periodically available in streaming. And uh, it seems like... it. Interesting, I read a report by Michael Ledecky, uh, who really seemed to suggest that the DVD by mail service at Netflix, which is now called DVD.com, uh, it's really, it's the people that are stuck with it uh, are sticking with it for exactly that, for the, for the niche value that they can get stuff here that they couldn't get before. So maybe DVD sales will settle out somewhere in uh, two to three hundred million a quarter range, <laughs> obviously much much lower than it was, but uh, that's that looks like its future. Yeah, well, and that's assuming that whatever content niche content that you're referencing does not end up finding a home on streaming, which seems unlikely. It seems like everything will find some home on streaming at some point. Well, I, that's an interesting comment, Will, because there's an awful lot of content that still isn't available on streaming services and is rotated in and out on streaming services. So and it's, it's all niche. 
and in this in this uh, report by Michael Ledecky, uh, which was carried by AP News, um, he talks about some of the areas and talks to some of the people that have really latched on to DVDs as a way of getting at that. So don't I wouldn't be too hasty in saying that everything is going to be available on streaming. I think there's a lot of content that will continue to be difficult to find and that will leverage DVDs to get hold of if we want that. And maybe streaming is just a fad after all, and it's all going to go away in a few years. <laughs> well, that sort of brings we'll us to our that sort of brings us to our main story here. Uh, maybe we should we should jump in there because that's a yeah. very good segue into the conversation that I think we're going to have. Right, let's do it. So this week, AMC Networks announced that its CEO was leaving and that it was laying off twenty percent of its staff. And um, their chairman, uh, James Dolan, AMC has been is mostly owned by the Dolan family. It was a spinoff from Cablevision going back in time. But uh, anyway, they reported their um, Q3, which was down uh, across the board. And a quote that he I'm, I'm now looking at a variety article that quotes a memo that he sent to AMC employees, quote, as I'm sure you're aware, our industry has been under pressure from growing subscriber losses. This is primarily due to cord cutting. Um, At the same time, we have seen the rise of direct-to-consumer streaming apps, including our own AMC+. It was our belief that cord cutting losses would be offset by gains in streaming. This has not been the case. We are primarily a content company, and the mechanisms for the monetization of content are in disarray. So that's a pretty um, blunt statement from Dolan talking about the challenges that AMC is experiencing. And you and I were doing a little bit of of back-of-the-envelope calculating of what the impact just over the past couple of years of cord cutting has been on the company and at the same time what their streaming initiatives have added up to. So um, first on the latter, they disclosed that they have a little over 11 million paying subscribers now on the streaming side. And, um, you know, we sort of rounded off. We assumed that they may be taking in about $4 a month on average in revenue. That's not to include what the cost of streaming is, the marketing costs, acquisition, customer acquisition, et cetera. Uh, but we were rounding off at about $4 a month. So with 11 million, and, and, and I, I should add that, you know, even that actually might be a little bit high because, for example, AMC Plus has an offer right now where you can get it for $2 a month for the first two months. Then it reverts to the $9 per month fee. It's not clear how many of the 11 million are promotional subs. It's also not clear how many might be free subs. It's also not clear how many of them might be uh, subscribers gotten through third parties like Amazon or others where they probably only, AMC probably only keeps 50% of their revenue. And then they have Shutter, which is a um, full price of $6 per month, Acorn TV, which is a full price of $7 per month. So we landed on $4 a month as an average times 11. That's $44 million 
per month that they may be bringing in in uh, streaming revenue. On the flip side, we're looking at the, um, and this involves a lot more rounding, <clears throat> excuse me, and approximating, but on the, <clears throat> excuse me, on the traditional side, the pay TV distribution side, <clears throat> excuse me, just looking at domestic, that between the affiliate fee that they get, which is probably somewhere between 50 and 60 cents per month per subscriber, and their ad revenue, they're probably somewhere around maybe a dollar sixty per month on the pay TV side. So, um, you know, as always, the question that all these different cable and broadcast networks have had is, can they make the same amount or more uh, on a on a net basis, not even on a revenue basis, but on a net basis for, uh, from direct to consumer streaming versus on the pay TV side? So here, I think what we see is that they're you know they may be getting as much as you know two times uh, per month on a per sub basis from streaming, but it's still not enough from an overall company standpoint to compensate for what's happening with cord cutting and now the softness in the ad market. So um, that has led obviously to uh, AMC deciding that they need to reduce costs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of that going around, right? We've heard David Zaslav over at Warner Brothers Discovery. He's retrenching behind traditional at the time when it continues to fall. Um, and it looks like even at Disney, they're losing patience. I guess Iger, who's just, just come back in to replace Bob Chapek, is saying that he's also going to stick with the idea that the, that these services are going to be profitable. I think one of the biggest things I would have done if, if it had been me is said, you know, Disney Plus is going to take a lot longer than we thought and, and give it the time it needs. Driving for profitability is probably not a great idea. But uh, so, you know, this is certainly something uh, that a lot of heads of TV programmers are coming to grips with, Will. And I got to tell you, it's very difficult to have any sympathy with them because I think they are, by all degrees, the architects of their own demise. Um, but but even more than that, I think it was very naive of Chuck Dolan um, and the other TV executives to believe that SVOD and online revenues would offset completely the amount of money that they were earning through pay television and i'll offer as evidence some data that i was looking at a lot during the you know 2018 2015 and this was coming out of tivo digital smiths as um, as you started this report with their video trends report and they were asking consumers you know of course then pay tv was was the only game in town or the main game in town and they were asking them if when they signed up for pay TV or, or with their pay TV, if they would like the opportunity to pick the channels that go in their package. And you know the answer um, in, in this particular quarter I'm looking at, which is Q3 20, 2016. Rather, they said 78 percent said that they would like to pick their cha- their channels. But they went on and asked, Will, how much would you be prepared to pay for these channels? And the answer that comes back, I don't think is 
what what the operators what the programmers would want to hear for example amc which is you know the subject of our conversation today the average consumer 44% said that they would want amc amc but they were only prepared to pay a dollar 64 for it a month so that that's a vast difference from how much AMC is asking people to pay for AMC Plus, which is what, like eight bucks a month? Nine bucks a month. Nine, nine bucks Plus. a month. There you go. So that if if they had looked at that number, they would know that they would have to either charge way more than they're currently charging and see far, far fewer people watching the content or charge way less than they're charging to get back up to the sort of numbers that they were looking at. And they would they would have seen that those two things just don't add up. And, you know, to be honest, if you look at the look at the other channels that AMC Plus provides, AMC provides to the in the pay TV organization, they're really pretty marginal channels, right? There's BBC America and IFC and a couple of others there. And the truth is that the, these as standalone properties in the web world, there's very, very few people that would subscribe to a service that was just providing that type of content. They would that type of content would need to be combined into another service like like AMC Plus. So I think it was very naive to think that you would be able to compensate for the losses in pay television with online revenues. It's a different business. It's a different business model. And I think that's the thing that TV programmers now are really adjusting to, and it's gonna be tough. It's, uh, there is no, I've said time and time again, there is no guarantee that you will make the same amount of money in the web world as you have made from traditional pay television. Yeah, well, what you're highlighting is that in the pay TV world, the magic of the bundle sort of masked what the true value to the consumer was of individual channels. So there was another piece in variety that I found. Um, this is actually uh, a little bit old. It's from um, the fall of 2020. But at that time, research that they did found that um, only about 16% of pay TV subscribers said that they watch AMC on a uh, regular basis. So that's to say that, you know, 84%, look at it another way, 84% of pay TV subscribers, uh, for them, it's a channel that they're basically cruising past as they're browsing or it's just simply not on their radar. Uh, so to your point, in a sense, when AMC is promoting a direct-to-consumer offer, they're really only fishing in a water of about 16% of total pay TV subs. So they're starting with that. And then on top of that, as you said, even for those who might be regular AMC watchers, but are cutting the cord and are now still want to access AMC, the question is what value do they put on that AMC programming? And as you're saying, the TiVo research revealed it's probably closer to about $2 per month, whereas AMC is charging, trying to charge $9 per month. So it's a relatively small audience, and they're probably charging well above what um, subscribers value that content at. And um, 
you know, you put those two together and you end up with a 20% layoff <laughs> in uh, Q3, right? You end up with reality eventually setting in and it's, it's not a great reality. It's not. It's really tough. Uh, but, you know, I think it's, it's kind of inevitable. And as I said, I think that the, the TV programmers are the architects of their own downfall with regard to this. Um, they have asked for above inflation in increases in the license fees from pay TV operators for a decade or more. And it has been pretty devastating to the business model itself. If you look at Comcast, for example, I think, I've, I've, I think they've lost like 20 points of margin over the last 10 years. So, you know, before 45% or something like that of every dollar somebody gave them went to the programmers. And now it's more like 65 or 70% of that of that dollar goes to the programmers. That doesn't leave a lot of headroom for profit and the virtual MVPDs probably aren't making very much money at all in this business because they're being charged even more. Uh, and of course, at some point, the pay TV operators just threw up their hands and said, we can't do this anymore. And now what, what do we see? We see folks like Comcast increasing prices. Like they're, they're apparently, I uh, read the other day that there's going to be a $7 increase in the price, $7 increase in the price for locals. And that's enormous. Uh, so constantly demanding higher than inflation fee increases is the primary reason for the increase in the price. And uh, of course, sports, sports programming is, is ultra guilty here because that's, that's one of the things that's absolutely been driving prices up. So the demise of the pay TV, pay TV operators uh, and the pay TV business model, it's, it's so clear in the data, right? Consumers wanted to choose. That's what, they, that's what the TiVo data said. Now they can. Now they can get much more control over what they watch and pay for only what they want. And so guess what you find is that, you know, a lot of people who were paying you for content they never watched, they're not going to pay you in the web world either. And they aren't. And it's it's tough. It, there is no guarantees. And that's that that's the really sobering thing for, I think, all TV programmers. However, it is something that Netflix and Hulu have been living with from world go. That's the world that they existed in. And that's the world that, that, that they're now actually doing very well in. Uh, Hulu, Hulu is probably Disney's only profitable DTC service. No, it is uh, Hulu, uh, Disney's only profitable DTC service. And Netflix, while it still owes a bunch of money, is definitely revenue positive. And doing and doing pretty well, continuing to do pretty well. So you know, uh, this is this is the cold hard reality of selling direct to consumer. Yeah, I was going to say that. I, you know, your point is certainly well taken. That the programmers have raised their rates to operators, who in turn have raised their rates to consumers, who in turn have accelerated cord cutting. So it's a little bit of the you know kind of killing the goose who lays the golden egg in a sense. Um, but then you have to, you know, which leads to more cord cutting. But then I think it's also worth noting that it's not just the programmers, but it's also been the larger environment, right? The, you know, 
not just Netflix, but all the services that have invested billions in creating great original content. And there's only 24 hours in a day. So what somebody may have been watching a program they really valued on AMC uh, now has competition from great originals on Netflix, Amazon, Apple, Paramount Plus, the list goes on and on. And so more competition from eyeballs. And then I think you can't also overlook the user experience. And that's something that Netflix and Prime and the others really redefined what viewers' expectations were for being able to access content very easily on multiple devices, breaking them out of the traditional set-top box world where content was anchored to the living room or you know wherever the TV was. So providing a lot more flexibility for viewers to actually get value from their subscriptions. Um, and also to the extent that services like Netflix and others um, have been ad-free. And that alone is a big plus in terms of what the viewer experience is. So there are a lot of different things that are happening here. And the um, announcement this week by AMC Plus is certainly, you know, I mean, they're a minnow compared to the Disney's and <laughs> yeah. the, you know Warner Brothers Discovery. These are major, major dislocations, it feels like, that are coming in the industry. And all of this, of course, compounded by um, the recession or, you know, perceived recession, whatever you want to call it, uh, that has suppressed ad spending. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would say I don't want to be too negative here. I think that I wouldn't describe the market as being in disarray as Mr. Dolan has. Um, there is no question that the market is still changing very quickly. The online, the online market for content is by no means settled. And what we're seeing right now is we're seeing, of course, the evolution of FAST's free ad-supported streaming TV. Uh, that's, that's the big thing that's going on right now. And I think what he, what Mr. Dolan and Iger and Zaslav need to, go, need to do is they need to go back and look at their distribution models and fully embrace all of the opportunities that there are online to generate revenue. And that means, uh, that means working with fast linear, that means launching ad-supported, pure ad-supported services themselves. I know I noted that Dave, David Zaslav says that that's exactly what Warner Brothers Discovery is going to do next year, which they absolutely should do. Um, it's all about multiple distribution, purely relying on subscription revenue is a mistake and will lead to you under monetizing the content that you have. So, you know, there's plenty of opportunities here, I think, for them to really exploit the full opportunities that there are online. But they have to recognize that those markets are still developing. So as they exploit them, um, they have to be patient and stick with them and wait for advertisers to arrive and start paying paying the sort of rates that they, that they think um, that they can get there. And they have to wait for customers to really transfer the rest of their viewing from traditional pay television into the online world, which will happen over time and is, is continuing on a pace as we, as, as we um, track it here at, um, inside the stream. So, you know, all of those things have to happen. Uh, but even, even saying all that, Will, I'm still going to say there is no guarantee 
that they will end up earning as much as they earn within the pay TV ecosystem. That was an artificial environment for content providers that allowed them to earn money for things like IFC, which really consumers wouldn't have subscribed to, or not many would, and really their life should be as a free ad-supported linear channel somewhere or service. Well, I mean, I think that's a fair point, Colin, but why stop there? I mean, the bundle has benefited, uh, you know, if you think it's benefited IFC, it's benefited ESPN and the sports oh, networks. incredibly, yeah. More than anything. I mean, what a there's, bonanza. There's, there's, no, there's no competition. I mean, this same variety article research that I was citing, it says 16% of uh, pay TV subscribers regularly watch AMC. Only 22% say they regularly watch ESPN. <laughs> so, I mean, think about that. You know, it's ESPN is trying to take its service direct, which eventually it will, um, you know, be more than just an ESPN. They're fishing in a water where only 22% of current pay TV subscribers say that they regularly watch ESPN. But ESPN is never mind charging $9 a month. They're going to need to charge something like $40 a month in order for their, um, you know, for it to be a, a, a makeup on what they were collecting from the pay TV world. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I think you can trace, I think your point about the bundle creating artificial economics for all these programmers is true across the board. Oh, and, yeah. It's only um, a small, relatively small beneficiary of that and its networks. And this is, I think, the reckoning that Bob Iger is going to be dealing with as he figures out what to do with ESPN is that sports rights fees continue to go up. Cord cutting continues to go up. ESPN is getting trapped in the middle of this. Is it a business worth holding on to or not? Yeah, yeah. Um, he said a long time ago when when ESPN Plus started, was his hope for that service was it to be the place that sports fans go first online. Uh, now that's still a work in progress. I can certainly say that for those people into UFC, it's probably the first first place they go online. And, and for those people that watch MLS... It's probably the first place that they go online, but not 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 beyond this season. They'll be going to Apple TV Plus. So, you know, uh, it's as you say, it, it could be the odd man out here, and it might be a good time for them to uh, to sell that business off. But uh, we'll we'll have to see what he does. He's only just sat his bum down in the in the CEO seat at seventy one. You got to wonder. <laughs> <laughs> right why why would you would you do that i don't think i would he, do that if i was 71 years old he, he has so many problems to fix yeah that just the act of prioritizing the problems is a problem into itself <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be I think, I'll, I think i'll be ready for sipping pina canales uh on some uh some island somewhere when, he, it's, when a, he's it's a it's a topic for a podcast of another day, Colin. The decision so. making of Bob so. Iger to come back to Disney. It's a whole other question. Anyway, yeah. I think we're out of time for this week. Um, pretty interesting stuff, though. And certainly AMC, I think, captures so much of what you and I have been talking about for so long on the podcast. Indeed. Yeah, definitely has. But uh, anyway, as you said, okay, I think we're just about out of time. Back to work. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you all again next week.
Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News. All rights reserved.